Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. All right, so good to see everybody here this morning. Everybody doing well? Oh, wow. Let's try that again. Is everybody doing well? <laughs> okay, good, good. thought we were about to have to stop and pray over the sick today, prayer, prayer of faith. Um, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 25 this morning. Thank you so much for uh, being here in the house of God today. And uh, I'm just so uh, thankful for all of you. And you look fantastic. And um, I, I think we're going to have a good day in God today. Uh, Genesis chapter 25. Today, what I'm going to do, we're starting a new series that'll, that'll take us through February on humans. And uh, we're basically going to be talking about the human condition over the next three or four weeks and um, all things that can kind of go with that. Uh, I read just this week one of the hardest things that, uh, about um, uh, that, that, that humans face is trying to be human and uh, trying to be yourself, trying to survive, trying to live through it, trying to feel called and purposed in it. And so we're just gonna look at some of the biggest challenges about humanity um, in the next month. And so I want you to tune in with us. But today, I'm gonna focus specifically on the topic of reconciliation. Now, that is not why I asked you to bring a friend with you this weekend, um, but uh, this is a very important topic, and it's important because no one taught us how to do it. And if you uh, think about this, uh, I, I don't know about you, but um, the generation above me, you know, if I talk about my parents and then my, my grandparents, they, um, you know, were not experts in conflict resolution. And so, um, you know, parents talked among themselves and they resolved things and kids were kids and uh, very seldom were we all gathered together for uh, life lessons. So I don't, I don't know if that was your uh, parental experience, but maturity was kept to those who were mature. And so um, we just kind of didn't see it and then uh, there's not a class about conflict in high school. There's not a, a class about it, or there wasn't a class about it in seminary. And then, boom, you get married, and hello, conflict, okay? And so um, today I, I want to talk about this. And in marital conflict, there tends to be two types of people. There's skunks and there's turtles, because one of you is always walking around with your head down, and the other's just spraying stank everywhere, <laughs> And so if, if, if you're the skunk in your family, just raise your hand. All right, anybody want to confess? Yeah, we've got a few skunks out there. Um, for some weird reason, skunks and turtles always marry each other. I don't know why that, that is. As a matter of fact, um, it, it is true that opposites attract. And if they're not healthy, what happens is opposites attract and then they attack. And... Um, uh, there was one guy, he told his wife, he said, we are so opposite, we are like a, of a fork and a spoon. And she said, no, we're like a fork and a knife, and I'm the knife. And uh, so sometimes this plays out in our homes. Mark chapter 3, verse 25, very popular passage, but um, it says this. It says, a home filled with strife and division will destroy itself. 
Uh, you, you know this better from the King James Version, which says, a house divided against itself, what? Will, will, will not stand, okay? And so uh, it's so true. We like to preach this in terms of, of uh, organizational theory or principle, but really when we're talking about a house, it can mean your home. And if it's divided, it's very difficult for it to stand. And some of you have experienced that personally, and you've survived that, and you know that it's awful, and uh, you know what division and conflict can bring in a home. And so in the Bible, there is this long story. It's so long, I'm, I'm only going to have to take little quips from it today. I'm going to ask you in your spare time today to read through the whole thing, but it's many, many chapters. Genesis tends to be this way. It gives us a lot of detail and a lot of storyline. And so it comes with a dump truck of conflict. And um, it is about two twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. And the conflict at one point gets so severe that the mom asks Jacob to run off. She says, you gotta get out of here. And her fear is that both boys, she's going to lose one or both of them through them murdering each other. You know, she's like, you guys are going to kill each other. So you, you got to separate from this. Now, I, when I talk about conflict today, I hope you're not to this place. But this is where these two boys were. It was serious and significant. And this tension... This unresolved and unreconciled conflict went on for two decades until God decided himself, I'm gonna get involved in this. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm about to change the trajectory of their relationship. And I want to begin this because this story is gifted to us to show us, first of all, how hard a conflict can be, and then second, to reveal to us how to start a healing or reconciling process with those that we need to be reconciled to. Now, I do want to preface this by saying there's a lot of reality that goes before this message. And there is some reality that is this. There are some people that you need to forgive, but you're never going to reconcile with them. And what I mean by reconciliation is a healing and a restoration of that relationship. And the reason that's not going to happen is because it's dangerous and it's so toxic and it was so harmful and it was so devastating for you that it's not healthy for there to be reconciliation. Maybe that person's life has never changed. They have never turned their life over to God. They, they are the same person today as they were when all that hurt entered your life. But forgiveness has to take place for you to move on, for you to be healthy, for you to follow Christ as effectively as you want. You've got to instill forgiveness into that plan with that person or person's. However, reconciliation is not always part of the plan, but if it can be, then I do believe that God wants to take us from forgiveness into a place of restoration or reconciliation, a place of, of, of healing. So let me start, and then I'm going to go into Genesis 25, and what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give us a few reasons first as to even why conflict exists, okay? And this is part of the human condition. I think that you, you can take these reasons and apply them to many, many examples of your own life, 
of, of your own story of what's happened to you through friendship or coworkers or marriages and so on, family members extended. And so the first one is this, a competitive spirit can become or will become a rivalry. Competition of who is the best, who is the alpha, and this particularly takes place, or I should say stereotypically, among men. They want to, there has to be an alpha among them, whether it's on a team, there's gotta be an alpha. So they name somebody a captain. You are our, our leader. Military, there's an alpha. There's somebody telling you, this is what you're gonna do, whether you like it or not. Backyard basketball, there's gonna be an alpha. Somebody's gonna say, I am gonna run over you, through you, dunk on top of you, foul you, whatever. Coworkers, I'm the alpha. I'm the smartest one here. I'm the best one here. I'm gonna prove that. It is somewhat innate. It's part of our human condition. Again, stereotypical males is to say, I'm going to dominate something in this room, my peers, and it can turn into a rivalry. So let's start to crack open this story. Let's go to Genesis 25. Let's read 23 through 26. Then I'll start jumping around from there. The Lord said to her, this is the boy's mother, two nations are in your womb. Okay, so now this becomes less a storyline and more a prophecy. God is saying there is something going on in the womb. I see it and this is what's gonna transpire. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Now this was totally against culture. Verse 24, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, and the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Translates Harry. I don't know why they just didn't call him Harry. <laughs> Verse 26. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob, and Jacob actually translates as deceiver or manipulator. This would play out through the course of his life. These twin boys came out of the womb fighting for first place. Esau's like, hey, I think I'm gonna go first. Jacob's like, no, you're not. And I believe there was a tussle. And then Esau went, and Jacob's like, not, not so fast. He grabs him by the heel, and he comes out second. Competition is great as long as you know you're on the same team. You can make someone better you can improve a situation. You can strengthen a church. Your marriage, what makes it so great is that you are great by yourself and your spouse was great by themselves and then you come together and you do something greater together and you serve God greater together because you were great already by yourself. The problem with a lot of homes is that you married someone to fill a need in, in your life. And now you're married and you realize they can't fill this need. Only God can. 
So there's conflict. So you can make each other better or you can cut each other down and eventually cut each other off. One leader I know says it this way. He says, everyone that you meet, you're gonna do one of two things with. You're either gonna envy them or you're going to invest in them. Every single person. You're gonna come in contact with them and you're gonna want something that they have. You're gonna be jealous of them. You're gonna, you're gonna covet something that they have and you wanna be like them. You wanna, you wanna drive what they drive, live where they live, work where they work. You, you want some type of skill set that's taken them years to, to develop or you will invest in what they're already doing and what they have going. You, you will become an encourager, a wind in their sails. You will champion them. You will encourage them and spur them on, as the Bible says. We're gonna do one of those two things with every single person that we meet. So, a competitive spirit becomes a rivalry. The second reason we have conflict is because physical differences and personality differences are rarely celebrated. So we see someone who's not like us, doesn't look like us, doesn't have the body type that we have, and suddenly we start throwing arrows around. Maybe they have a different personality type. Maybe they, don't, they would solve a problem differently. Uh, maybe they respond to stress differently. They, they don't work the way you work. They don't act the way you act. They respond to the world completely different than you respond to it. And instead of that being something that we find joy in, we find frustration in it. And it creates conflict. There was plenty of differences between these two boys. Plenty. When you look at it. Esau was hairy. Jacob was smooth-skinned. Okay? Our staff, they always make fun of me because I'm the only one who doesn't have a beard because I'm too smooth, okay? My dad does not have a beard. My grandfather does not have a beard. I imagine his daddy did not have a beard, and so on. We are a smooth people. It's just not gonna happen. But Esau was hairy, all over. He's like a shag rug, all over, just his whole body. Nothing but hair. Sasquatch, that's what his name means. Esau was an outdoorsman. Jacob had a Pinterest account, okay? Esau made a mean bowl of gumbo, and Jacob liked hummus, all right? Esau was a daddy's boy. Jacob was a mama's boy. They were so different and so unique, but each and every person is fearfully and wonderfully made, and it's very difficult for us uh, sometimes to look at life through that filter and go, that's exactly who that person is and who they need to be, and instead of bringing it up as a point of frustration. My little family, we are all different from each other. Robbie is the fiery one. Riley is funny, and I am the perfect one. <laughs> we're all easy, and we're all hard. At the same time, I'm pretty sure two of the three of us are on our way to heaven, it depends on what day of the week, which those two people are, okay? It just, it's constantly rotating. We're, we're losing our salvation and getting it back and losing it and getting it back. But we don't have to be alike because when everyone thinks the same, eventually no one thinks at all. So it's, it's okay that iron sharpens iron, that there's some level of tension there. But in our humanity, we have conflict because we look at differences and we look at them through a lens of frustration 
that everyone should change and everyone should be a certain way and everyone should act a certain way and everyone should see the world. And we even bring that into the church and say everyone should see the Bible the same way and every verse the same way and all of it the same way when everyone's experience with God is not the same experience. So we have to celebrate those things. Third, money can create a lot of conflict, especially in our culture. It, again, it's in our human condition to want. We all have an appetite. Money is one of those, or resources, because they give us the ability to make different decisions. Okay, So if you have resource, if you have money, your ability for decision-making expands. You get to do more. You have options. And Jacob reaches in, and you guys know this story, but he steals the inheritance in this day and time, it was called a blessing. And it was, it was different than what just you and I call an inheritance. Like someone passes and they leave wealth. It was a spoken word. It was that this person became the new patriarch of the family. And so they carried with that power, authority. They were about 10 times wealthier than their siblings were. And so this was a very big deal. But it came with this verbal blessing, like, I bless you to thrive. I bless you with healthy children. I bless you with a wife or wives. I, I, I bless your family. It was this, this patriarchal blessing, and it was very important for that person to receive that. Jacob covers himself in hair, goes into his elderly father, pretends to be Esau. Isaac gives him the blessing and now it cannot be undone. It's not like, oops, I made a mistake. He blessed him, it was over, he got all of it, and his family became in turmoil over it. The stealing of the inheritance is the final straw. I've seen this so many times play out after funerals, and you have too. People start figuring out who gets what, and the knives come out. And there are people today who have not spoken for decades over who got a coffee pot, okay? It happens. And so we see this plainly in the life of Esau and Jacob. When self-pity and jealousy hook up, they have children named bitterness, all right? So money can create conflict. In Genesis 27, 41, it says Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. That was the sacred time. Once Isaac passed, no one does anything. Everybody still, everyone honors Isaac. Everyone doesn't make any life decisions. Nothing crazy happens. Everyone just calms down, focuses upon Isaac, honors him, and it's a specific number of days. And he says, when these days are over, I'm gonna kill you. That's conflict. And it was big, and it was deep, and it was in the family, and it was breaking a mama's heart. In James chapter 4, if you fast forward this to the New Testament, the brother of Jesus comes out, and he says, hey, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. This is very real for us. 
I don't have what I want, so I'm going to get it. I'm going to step on somebody, hurt somebody, start something, make a mean post. I'm going to target someone. I'm going to do my best to come in this, trying to, trying to make it where I'm squeaky clean, but people really get a message. And so we've become masters at being passive aggressive, all because of what? To get what we want. James calls it out. He says, you got something in you that wants something, and this is why you're fighting with each other. So I just want to pause after all that for a second. Let us catch our breath for a second because you may be here today and you may have a conflict and it may be ugly and it may be with a friend and it may be with a spouse and it may be with an extended family person or it may be with your boss or coworker or it may be with your adult children. It may be with a church somewhere. She said, man, I'm in conflict with that. I don't like it. I don't like the way it happened. I don't like the way it felt. I don't like the events of how that, that unfolded. And because of that, we have conflict. We have tension. So let's talk about for a second how we can start a process of reconciliation. I believe these next three talking points are three separate compartments of how we can tackle this. The first one is very, very practical. Face the conflict. How many people are running from the conflict? How many people have turned their back and ran the other direction and said, I'm not gonna deal with it, I'm gonna forget about it, I'm gonna go on, I don't wanna face it. And the tension, just like this story, can hang in the air for decades. Let me tell you something about an old cliche. It's a good one, it sounds great, but it's not true. And that is that time will heal a wound. It does not heal a wound. Jesus heals a wound. Time gives him the framework by which he can work. Jesus does the healing. Time doesn't heal anything. It lets your mind adjust. It lets it adapt. It lets it accept. But it doesn't heal anything. You can walk around for a very, very long time with a wound, and wounds must be addressed. Can you imagine if I just had a gaping wound, just something that I had my hand over, and for weeks I would get up here and speak, and you would see my shirts just stained with blood. Just, it's just, yeah, I've just got this open wound. It's terrible. I know I should probably see somebody, but I'm not. Why? Because I'm stubborn. Because I got pride. Because I'm trying to ignore it. I think, you know, if I, if I bleed out, one day I'm just going to pass out. That's where I'm going for I'm going for just the extreme of it because we don't face a conflict. When I read scripture, I read pages of conflict. I don't know about you, Genesis, if, if you are a new believer, do not start in Genesis. It will ruin your faith. Okay, start in Revelation. No, I'm kidding. When I read through this, I see Moses had to face a sea, a big conflict. This is a turning point, a trusting point. Is this gonna happen? Are you, are you really with us? Did you really ask us to take this on? He had to face it. He, he, he didn't just say, quickly, plan B. Everybody panic, everybody run. No, he said, God, what, what are we gonna do here? This is huge. Joshua faced a wall of Jericho, a, a, a feat and a foe. It was enormous. God, what do you want us to do here? Because I believe you've asked us to take this thing. What do you want us to do? Elijah 
faced a spirit within a controlling person, and he had to face Jezebel. Je- Jezebel, she depressed him. She frustrated him. At one point in his life, he is suicidal. He's asking for death, wanting it. Jesus himself proves to us that a bitter cup cannot be passed. It has, it has to be drank. He said, Lord, if there's any way. But he ultimately faced the mission and said, I'm going to finish this. this. This proves to us that there are bitter cups in our life and you just got to wrap your hand around it and down the thing. Get through it. Let's do it. Let's face it. Let's get it over with. We know this great truth, but conflict is never resolved accidentally. It is always intentional. If we don't make a move, nothing happens, and this can be guided by the hand of God. So that's the second thing I want to talk about that's related to this story. Sometimes you and I, to to resolve conflict, we've got to wrestle this thing out with God. This is what happened with Jacob. He finds himself in a place, he wrestles all night with a supernatural being. Some believe it was an angel, some believe it was Jesus. But he wrestles all night, night long. And this being touches him on the hip. It's a very mysterious story. But one, one, one version says in the hip, kind of gives way, and he begins to limp after that. He comes out of his conflict walking differently. That's an enormous metaphor. That anytime we go to God and we say, God, I'm gonna, I'm, I want to wrestle this out spiritually with you, we're going to come out of that walking differently. You, you could relate it to thinking differently, feeling differently. Anytime we've come in contact with God about our conflict, we're gonna come out of that. It's like a tunnel. You can go in it, but you're coming out the other side and you're gonna be different because you're meeting God in that space between those two points. Here's something that I have found, and I don't know if this is gonna apply to all, but it has certainly applied to me. I have found that many times my earthly conflict with people is a reflection of a spiritual conflict that I've had with God. So sometimes when I have a bad attitude with God, it reflects and I have a bad attitude with people. I'm frustrated with faith or a situation. We're turning the question mark upward. God, why? God, where? And then we turn that toward other people. So when I fix it here, it gets fixed naturally here because the outward here is a reflection of what I've got going on spiritually. So I wrestle with God in prayer and I intercede with God in prayer and I meditate with God in prayer and in thought and I let God soften my heart and when my heart becomes pliable, then he's able to work something out. And nine times out of 10, I've seen it in my own conflict resolution, stuff gets worked out because I have let God 
do something in me through the wrestling. And it's not fun. And it's not comfortable. And sometimes when he touches your hip and it pops out of place, you're like, wait a minute. It doesn't feel good. But you come out different, seeing it differently, feeling differently, but you feel like you just had surgery. So when we wrestle with God, conflict goes from my way to your way to our way. All right? Third, let me finish with this. So not only do we need to face the conflict and wrestle it out with God, but we need to take the responsibility, you and I, as followers of Jesus, of being the peacemaker. Okay, be the blesser. This story unfolds. As, as you can see, I'm about to read from Genesis chapter 33. So we're many, many, many chapters into this story. It's still unfolding. And Esau meets with Jacob. And he says this. He says, what's the meaning of all the flocks and the herds that I met? And Jacob said, I just wanted to find favor in your eyes. Okay, they're both 20 years into this. They're tired of it. And Esau, in verse 9, this is what he says. I already have plenty, brother. Keep what you have. Okay? Keep what you have. Luckily for these two, as they grew, as they talked with God, as they married and had children, and grew up, their heart became softer. And Esau says, you know what? I'm not mad about it anymore. Keep what you have, okay? We have to, if we are going to truly follow Christ, be a peacemaker. Be the bigger person. Take one for the team. Take it on, on, on the chin. And I'm not talking about standing up for yourself, and I'm not talking about being somebody's doormat. No, I'm talking about events that go on for so long to be the blesser, to be the peacemaker, to be the one to go, it's okay. Keep what you have. And James, I'm gonna end with this verse, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. James chapter three, he gives us this beautiful verse. In verse 18, he says this, those who are peacemakers, watch, will plant seeds of peace and they will reap a harvest of goodness. Now, what I find amazing about this is typically what you put in the ground, you get back. But he says, God changes this one. He says, when you plant peace, in this particular verse, you're not getting back peace, you're getting back goodness. When I'm a peacemaker, something good's gonna happen in my life. As I plant peace, as I build bridges, as I hug necks, as I let things go. And again, I'm not asking you to return to being BFFs. I'm just saying, telling people, hey, I'm at peace. It's all right. Why? Because you've been with God. 
You're thinking about it differently. You're seeing them differently. You're seeing the pain differently. And because of that, you're putting peace into the ground and goodness is going to come back into your life in some form, in some way, in some season. Goodness is going to come back. So if that's you today, put some peace in the ground. If you want good things, be a peacemaker. If you want some area of your life to turn, find another area of your life to make peaceful. This is what you do if reconciliation is not attainable. Just be a person of peace. Just be a person of peace. It's okay. I'm good. I always make a joke about my, my father. I say, he, he is one of the only men I know who does not have an enemy. I don't meet people who don't like my dad. And that's such a huge gift because I tell him, Dad, how in the world do you do that? I don't know. I can tell you why. It's just years of being peaceful. He didn't want to fight with anybody. He didn't want to be mad at anybody. He didn't want to be hurt at anybody. Just years of peace. I love that. I pray that over you today too. God, we love you. We come to you in this place today and we ask for peace. God, there may be people right now in the room, right now in the room, who have friendships and marriages and extended family that are in, ca- in conflict and turmoil, fighting over frivolous things and angry for decades over stuff that doesn't even matter. God, today we just pray first that we'll just wrestle it out with you. God, would you just talk to us, be with us, put your hand on us. Let us see it differently. Let us experience it differently. So God, if we can face it, let it be faced. If it's not dangerous to us, let us face it and wrestle it out with you and be a person of peace.